Yo, we are back once again. This is the Channel 10 Podcast. It is I, Singar Superior. And for this episode, I have Cole who is the founder of Catch a Cali Records, man. What's good with you? Hey, what's good? What's poppin'? So man, yeah, man, you seem like a you're like you seem like a really interesting dude and everything like that. You just got like a lot of lot of things going on with you and everything like that. So um, <laughs> I'm crazy. What can I say? <laughs> so you know, um, you know, before we delve, you know, more into like the label, the music that your label uh, that you have coming out through the label and everything like that. I do want to talk a little bit about your background. So you are from Mount Clare, New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah, I grew up there. Um, I mean, I was I was born in the Bronx, um, but you know, uh, you know, my parents they were like, I don't want to raise a black kid in the crack epidemic, so yeah, they were looking for a way out ASAP. So we moved to Montclair on my second birthday. All right, cool, cool, and um, and I see that uh, um, your your childhood home was recently sold. Yeah, man, um, it was a bittersweet feeling uh, that got sold. Uh, shit, let's see, that was a little bit after Thanksgiving. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm 27 now. I'm living in the city. Uh, I'm living in New York, so you know, how can I really uh, be that bitter about uh, losing my my NJ home? You know, can't be selfish. Got to pass the baton on. You know. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you, man. Um, I, I remember when uh, I lost my my childhood home. It, well, it happened to me when I was like much younger. But you know, we I mean, we are, we are we're the same age. I'm 27 too. But um, Word. yeah, where are you yeah, from though? Um, well, so I'm from I'm from Baltimore, but um, I'm living oh, out in Oklahoma shit. right now. Okay, yo, I actually I went to uh, I went to University of Maryland, so I was, I was hanging out in Baltimore a lot. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. So, um, so the thing is, like, my, <laughs> my family, <laughs> I try, man. Um, <laughs> so my fa- so a lot, a lot of people in my family, you know, they either do military or they either go to College Park or whatever like that. Um, I kind of took an opposite route. Um, I went to the Bastard Child, uh, that being UMES for college. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I had a lot of friends from there actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. I see, we got we got some got some parallels going on, everything like that. Um, but yeah, man. So Montclair is kind of like a, kind, I guess, kind you know, kind of like urban suburban area, but known for like, its art scene and everything like that. I'm not really like in a position to be like you know like the designated Montclair representative. You know, I don't want anybody thinking that um yeah I'm taking the lead on that. But I do want to say, you know, I really do feel like Montclair is just, like, the, the greatest suburb you've never heard of. I tell people that all the time, you know, because, like, it's really, it is just so, um, it, it is such a great example of, like, a melting pot, you know? Like, you go there, and, all right, you got, like, the middle class, uh, you know, like, middle class, like, you know, waspy families. But then you also have, like, you, you just walk three miles in the opposite direction. You get the fourth ward. Um, it's, it's plenty of minorities, uh, plenty of um, uh, lower class families. I, I don't know. I just feel like growing up there, I feel like I had best of both worlds. And I really, um, I don't know, I didn't want to take it for granted, you know. So ever since uh, moving out of there, going to college, and, you know, starting this label, I've always tried to uh, represent Montclair as much as I could uh, by reflecting that. Um, is that the reason, you know, I guess just kind of like being, being in that kind of area, is that how you, uh, how you honed your artistic, uh, skills and interest? So I would say more than anything, um, oh, you mean it's just music wise, right? Uh, music, screenwriting. Yeah. Hell yeah. So my thing, um, music wise, hell yeah, my clan influenced the living shit out of me, but actually, um, 
when people ask me, you know, like, how did you first decide that you want to start a slave? Or how did you first, like, you know, get into it? I was telling the story of, um, you know, senior year in college. I was doing this part-time job, right? Where I would go, uh, you know, after class, I would hop on the Metro or over in Maryland and go to D.C. Because that's where I was working uh, for this accountant from uh, over in D.C. And, you know, anytime I got bored, I had a little bit of free time. I'd check, you know, uh, Facebook mobile or, you know, Complex Magazine and all that on my phone. And um, I remember seeing... Uh, there was this tweet from Kanye West talking about, yo, uh, we're going to be dropping this new song with Pusha T later this afternoon. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even know Pusha T had jumped on the Kanye's label. That's interesting. Uh, fast forward a couple hours, I listened to the song, and I was loving it. I was I was like, wow, I've never heard this this kind of Pusha T before. Like, you know, what what was the whole conversation? What was the whole process that got him on uh, just new mode of himself? Like, you know, what, what was the... It was all behind the scenes shit that we don't know. The song was called Numbers on the Boards. And I was very much used to hearing like 90s Pusha T. And it was clear that like um, Kanye had influenced him to go in some direction. But then I seen that Kanye didn't really produce the beat. He just helped arrange it, you know? So I was really curious about like, wow, I didn't even know that's a job in musical versus like, are you this middleman who just like introduces an artist, to, like producers he should be working with, introducing the new sounds you should take on. So, you know, I was, I was really impressed by that, and I realized, like, how much I would like to do that. So, that was, I would probably attribute that to the very first start of, uh, you know, how I got involved in this. Okay, cool. And um, so, senior senior year of college, we're kind of like, we're, we're around the same age, so I'm assuming this is, what, 20? Because I don't, I don't remember, like, what year that song came up, like, 2010, Yeah, that would have been, been 2013 when that happened. Oh, 2013, okay. Yeah, I mean, I didn't take any steps back then, but, like, I would say that was, like, the very first, like, initial... You know, that's that's definitely like what planted the seed in my head, you know. And, you know, this is, you know, I guess, you know, 2013, that was still kind of within like the, you know, the the music blog era. It was still, you know, it was still kind of hot. You know, now it's kind of died down and, you know, a lot of the blogs have been kind of gobbled up by, you know, big, large entities and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. So. Um, so then how did you get into screenwriting? So way, way before music, way before uh, any of this stuff with the label, um, I, I spent love with movies my whole life, you know? So uh, I grew up as an only child my whole life. And I feel like, you know, just not having any siblings, like not having, like, you know, like a full understanding of the world. You know, you're, you're a young kid. You don't really have people your age to relate to just yet, you know, because you haven't started, like, you know, uh, forming friend groups in public school and all that. Um, yeah, man, I was just... I, I was insomniac. I was up late. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I was just like, yo, I'm just going to sneak out of bed and go watch a movie. And, you know, lucky for me, I grew up in a household where we had a bunch of channels. So, you know, sneaking out of bed like, to go watch movies as a kid, I was seeing all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, you know, I was watching The Sopranos at a much younger age than was appropriate. Um, I was watching New, New Jack City at, at a much younger age than was appropriate. The Wire, all of it. So... I feel like, yeah, really just um, being wide awake at three in the morning as a young kid, watching these incredible stories be told through film. That's what made me want to get into uh, screenwriting more than anything. Mm, that's what's up. And so you have, well, I'm assuming you, you have different, you know, projects that, that you're working on, but you do have one called Puddle of Ink, right? Yeah. So that was a script I wrote. I mean, I go through real weird phases uh, with the movies I, I watch and um, 
I'm right about right. So I would say about like second half of college, I got this weird habit of, you know, I, I still, I, I've had insomnia my whole life. So it's like, what am I going to watch when I can't sleep until in the morning? And I was watching these movies uh, that were typically like, you know, film noirs, 1950s type. So, you know, they tell you, you know, you don't write what you know, write what you love. So uh, given that I was watching those kind of movies at the time, you know, I just picked up my, my computer and started writing uh, a movie set in 1950s Hollywood. Cause I've always been very fascinated with that whole, you know, chaos behind the curtain, but the show must go on kind of kind of thing, you know. So that's why I wrote that's why I wrote Puddle Inc. Um, I put that out about uh, about a year ago. I spent two years writing it. I put on this great this great website called theblacklist.com, which is great. Any anybody who's like me, like you know, aspiring screenwriter, trying to get feedback on their shit, uh, theblacklist.com is definitely the best resource because they will they will give you feedback. They'll let you host it on there, and a lot of a lot of producers, a lot of agents, a lot of managers will go on that website anonymously to like just try and find the next great big script find somebody we're signing so you know i put my shit on there um we got pretty good feedback but you know not as good as i wanted i got like a seven out of ten on there but like i need to write something that's gonna like you know just be like a home run you know so um i moved on from that script what i've been writing right now uh this the screenplay is titled the unauthorized biography of god um, that shit is going to be a biopic of um, Grace Jones, who I hope everybody knows, but the fact that a lot of people don't know is why I need to you know, write that movie. I just had this crazy idea that Lumpita Nyong'o should play her in the movie, so I'm going to do my best to write this script and you know, uh, see if Grace Jones' manager gives us a cosign. Mm, I mean that's what's up, and you know I uh, I can see Lupita of you know playing playing Grace Jones. Actually, come to think about yeah, it, yeah, you know I've seen a lot of <laughs> black and white photos of her, and that's literally the first thing I, I think of every time I see a photo like that. I'm like, damn, this girl should play Grace Jones in the movie. This is like, like how was no and for a while I didn't even want to write the movie because I didn't know much about Grace Jones except that she was like a big time supermodel in the seventies. I was like, how has no one else thought of this? But you know, uh, everything happens for a reason, and if no one else thought of it by now, then yeah, correct myself. That's what's up, man. And um, yeah, because uh, you know, I, I can tell that you know uh, you you do have a uh, um, you know kind of go of golden a golden age Hollywood influence. I see that you're a fan of Humphrey Bogart and yeah, uh, man, and stuff like that. So I, I can imagine that you uh you you used to well you probably maybe you still do, but you used to probably watch a lot of TCM, especially if you had the channels back in the day. Yeah, man, I'm still watching those. Honestly, like I I I wasn't lying about having that like all day every day insomnia. Like I literally. Shit, man, what I watched last night. Last night I watched, um, oh, shit, this was a great movie I'd never seen before, but it was, uh, it's called The Man with the Golden Arm. Shit came out in, like, the mid-90s. Oh, with Frank Sinatra? Yeah, you seen that? Yo, because my Dude, thing is, yeah. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> I'm like, how is there this amazing movie where Frank Sinatra's just playing a heroin addict? <laughs> like, just, like, play, like, acting his ass off, and I never heard of it. Yo, I watched that shit, and shit, that might go in my top ten. I've watched that since last night, you know? And I, I love I love I love finding gems in both music and film. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm always gonna be about that. I'm I'm the same way. Like my 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 mother, she was born in the '50s, and so um, you know when I was a kid, she would always be watching TCM, and you know I and then like um, I was just never interested. And then one day when I was like maybe 13 or 14, yeah. Um, um, the it was the the postman always rings twice with um. John oh, that's a dope movie too. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, man. I just got in, like I, I would just got infatuated they with that movie. They started an and then killed the husband, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a dope. The grief. Yeah, that's, that's a dope movie, man. It's crazy because like you know you don't appreciate it too much when you're a kid, but like you know you you live life a little bit, you come back to it. It's just like uh, it's a real, I don't know, sentimental value has a a, a whole big effect on me. So. You know, when I'm thinking about uh, Puddle of Ink, I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe Maltese Falcon. You know, yeah. Kind of feeling the world like that or whatever with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, up, I, I, would, I would definitely have to write uh, something based in that era. You know, it's like an homage, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, too, because, um, you know, you, you do have like a like a classy look, you know, and everything like that. And also mm-hmm. you are a cigar smoker, too, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm always. Uh, yeah. My, my fault. Go ahead. Oh no! I mean, well, I was gonna like, what's your favorite cigar, man? So I mostly smoke Dominicans. Um, you know, it's crazy because you know I love my roommates. Uh, you know, like two weeks after my birthday, I guess the the gift he had planned on getting me to show up a little early. So I get this uh, this package from him. I mean, I live with him, but he was basically, yo, I got this package in the mail. Was supposed to get it to your birthday, but shit, it was like a, a combo it had like uh, uh, Dominicanos, uh, Cubanos. Um, you know, whole breakdown of the ingredients that went in there. But shit is, uh, the, the problem is, you know, it's, it's just too damn cold in New York right now to really be uh, smoking those out there for 20 minutes uh, in a row outside, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I can't, like, the place I live, I can't, I can't even smoke. So, I mean, smoke inside. So, yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah. uh, I'm also a pipe smoker, too. So, you know. So, you, you, you grew up in Baltimore, but now you live in where? Uh, uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, okay. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I mean, you, uh, you can still smoke in in, uh, in in certain bars in Oklahoma too. Actually. Really. Yeah. You know, it's funny. They got they got like uh they got cigar bars here in New York, but I'm kind of like, how is that? I mean, if they made a a law here in New York banning that, then I really know it's allowed. But you no, know, whatever. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Who knows? Like people will do what they want to do, man. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Uh, now, what I was going to say is, like, you know, as much as I love screenwriting, my own music, I'm, just, I'm the type of dude, like, man, I, I just get bored, you know? So, I just, I would need to have two careers. I would need to have uh, the ability to, you know, tackle both at the same time. I couldn't just choose one over the other. I need to always uh, be finding ways to express myself uh, visually, creatively, so. Hmm. I feel yeah. you. I mean, and, and it makes sense too because I, I recall you. I think you said um. I mean, your intro to the on the what is it the We So Classic podcast that you said that you know if one of them jumps off, then you know it can help out the uh, the other um you know indirectly or directly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you listened to that actually because my thing is like uh, I really do feel like they could both complement each other. You know, um, a lot of times people ask me like you know why do you want to do both music and movies? And I'm saying like yo, imagine, um. You know, imagine like Stanley Kubrick, executive producing like a, a Kanye West album. That shit would really just like, <laughs> like I don't even think the world would be ready for that kind of thing. And I just feel like, you know, that they're both based on just being like, um, you know, trying to be visually ground- groundbreaking. Not, not just visually, but like, you know, the whole idea of both is to just make dope shit, right? So if you're dipping your hands into making groundbreaking film. Whatever you've learned or gained from that experience, you apply that to rap. I think it's gonna be a, a just a win on both both ends. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Well, because you know, actually, when I was when I was researching you, the first thing that kind of popped in my mind, I'm like, okay, screenwriter, and then you know, uh, 
label executive and I'm like huh and then I was thinking like you know Nicki Minaj I, you know she always has said that her main thing is she wants to be an actress she look at RZA and how RZA says that his office like at least the first wave of Wu-Tang albums um, you know were, were, were like you know cinematic or he tried to make them cinematic so I mean it makes a lot of T.I. I mean you just go down the line yep. um, so yeah it makes a lot of sense so uh, let's jump into Catch a Cali, um, and you know how uh, you know how you uh, you know how you founded it, and I'm really interested in the name, yeah, um, and how you came up with the name because it comes yeah. from a book, right? Um, yeah, we could start with the name. Um, so Catch a Cali comes from like, a very loosely translated uh, West African fairy tale, right? That my dad was telling me as a kid, um, and again, like loosely translated, but I my interpretation as a kid was basically that uh, boatloads of slaves um, being returned to West Africa, you know, they get dumped off uh, back in their, you know, homeland, which they, you know, had grown estranged to. Uh, they didn't know how to start a civilization because that's all they've been slaves for most of their lives. But um, on a whim, uh, this one tribe decides to follow a trail of crocodiles. Um, they follow this trail of crocodiles to a spot in the desert uh, and once they stop at that spot in the desert, there's just like a downpour for maybe three, four days, uh, just nonstop rain. And that rain is what made the soil so rich and enabled them to grow crops. And once they started growing crops, it was kind of like a domino effect uh, that built up to them being able to start the civilization. So, you know, as a kid, I always loved that story. And it just seemed like, all right, like that should definitely be the name of my record label because... I don't know much about the music industry. I don't know much about starting a label, but I'm just following my instincts. I'm just following what feels right the same way uh, they did. And that's why I named my Instagram, King Cashy Cali. Like, you know, whoever it was in that tribe to just, you know, uh, make that bold move based on instinct, that's who I am. At least that's what I'm trying to replicate. So it just made sense to name it after that, I feel like. And um, that's, why we got, that's why we got Crocodile's logo. Uh, that's what's up because I was looking up the name and I came across um, a book by uh, Lynn Reed Peters. Yeah, that's funny because you know what? That's <laughs> that's my great grandpa, man. That's funny. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's why my dad used to always tell me that story as a kid. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> my grandmother is Florence Peters. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So, you know, half, half my family is still living over there. That's uh, the Gambia in West Africa. It's a beautiful country. I've honestly, I've been there too many times, but, um, you know, anyone who hasn't been there, you know, uh, save your money up, uh, get that plane ticket. That's what's up, man. Because, uh, you know, I was looking at some, like, um, you know, certain, like, you know, re reviews of, like, at least, like, the um, the poem, because I know, like, that the book, it, it also has, like, a short story in it that, like, takes up most of, like, the, the entire book, but, like, the right. poem itself. Um, you know, Damn, my man really did his homework. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's interesting, man. You know, like and how, like you know, the uh, that that particular area is like the sacred place, and some people were, you know, kind of interpreting it as, you know, as yeah. um, you know, just kind of trying to, you know, maintain a cultural heritage, and then certain, you know, issues with colonialism and yeah, uh, it's like actually that. still there. If you if you go to West Africa, like there is a Kachikali uh, crocodile pool, so. Um, I went there as recently as a uh, 2011, matter of fact. But you know, like I said, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of loosely translated fairy tales around that because people have always been curious. How did this one spot in the middle of nowhere 
what Crocodile's congregate become so uh, famous and respected. And I guess, you know, my, my favorite of all those fairy tales was the one, you know, I was just mentioning. That's what's up. So now, Catch a Cali, you have um, three artists. You have mm-hmm. Broken Pen, Rico mm-hmm. Smooth, and Noam Shapiro. So um, yeah. if, you, if you will, uh, describe each and every artist. Yeah. So let me let me start with Broken Pen because we're doing the most with him right now. Um, Broken Pen, you know, he he's also from Montclair, New Jersey. He's actually the only other artist on my label uh, from Montclair, New Jersey. Um, him more than anyone, he, he works so quick. He's a monster. That's why that's why I'm doing the most of them right now, because the whole way this shit started was I was just buying beats. You know, the same way some people just buy clothes, they never know, they don't know what occasion they're going to wear them on, they don't know what event they're going to go to or anything like that. It just feels like the right purchase. That's what I was doing with Beats, where I was just, I would be going through producers' libraries, being like, yo, this shit is, this shit is fire, like, I want to make sure no one fucks it up, let me buy the ownership of this, I'll keep it on my hard drive, and then hopefully, um, I'll give it to somebody who's worthy. So I had a whole bunch of my vault. Um, and there was this one beat, um, I'll tell you what it's called in a minute, but basically it was like, it had a whole bunch of piano riffs. I wanted Gnome to rap over. He said, yo, the beat's fire, but I don't know what to do with it. Then I was like talking to other rappers who I didn't even manage, trying to get them to rap over. They said, nah, it's a dope beat, but I wouldn't know what to do with it. Broken Pen was the only one who said, all right, this beat is fire. I don't know what to do with it, but let me sit on it. I'm going to turn it into something. Um, I came back to him in a week, and he had a dope verse ready for it. So originally, I was going to use his feature on the beat and tell people, like, yo, you see, like, he was able to do something with it. Like, you know, that's a dope feature. And now the rest of the song is yours. People still couldn't do nothing with it. <laughs> and that's when I told him, like, yo, this should be your song. Like, you clearly were the only one who, like, this instrumental spoke to you. You were able to do something with it. Um, the song wanted to be in luxuries. That shit's on my SoundCloud right now. The Catch Light Records uh, SoundCloud. Um, you'll hear that it's like a looping piano riff, like you know, some hard and bass to it. Um, everyone, everyone liked it, man. But like I, I tell you, he was the only one who did that shit justice. So I had, to, I had to sign him out to that. So you know, I brought him on. Um, we did a we did an EP together over the summer. That was no vacations. Uh, you know, we started track by track at first, but then next thing you know, you know, I was I was emailing his music out to people. Uh, I emailed his music that song "Luxuries." I emailed it to Rock Marciano. I said, "Yo, um, I know you're probably a busy dude, but we're making this EP. I'd love to get you featured on it." Um, here's a sample of what his music sounds like for the album. He he immediately got back and said, "Yo, I love it." I'll be on the album. So he did a feature for us. That song is called Evil Depends Do. That's also on the album. Mm-hmm. Dope song. Um, yeah, that was that was really the jumping point. Then I was talking to Cook and Soul. I don't know if you know those producers out in LA. I was like, uh, yo, I got I got Rock Marciano on this album. Like, if you want to be on it too? They said, yeah, we'll get we'll give you a beat. Uh, so I purchased that beat uh, from Murders in Church. I had my homie D Dan from Beat Lampers, also from Malcolm New Jersey, hop on it. And it was really just like, you know, uh, working with him felt like a real step-by-step, like, you know, building process because it was one thing after another. And now, fast forward to today, 
uh, he's going to be opening for Rock Him and Funkmaster Flex at BB King Blues uh, on yeah, Thursday, yeah. February 8th. Yeah, congrats so, on that. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to that. And also, um, this EP, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first project that you've executive produced? Yeah, No Vacations. That was the first full project I've executive produced. Um, and the second one, which I'm also executive producing right now, um, you know, to go into my other artist, uh, Noam Shapiro. Uh, so what Noam was doing, he was he was in a rap group, uh, Futuristic Lingo. You know, all all respect, you know, due to them. Uh, but he was kind of trying to branch out because they were making kind of like radio friendly music, and he wanted to kind of branch out and make some more like you know raw sounding shit, like you know some more like underground type shit. So. He was over my crib one day. Uh, we were having a party at our old apartment. Um, we were still living in Midtown at that point. And um, you know, I was DJing, and there was this beat that came on during Shuffle. Uh, it was a beat that I had bought off Delonis Martin. Uh, he was like, yo, uh, who's this? I, I told him, I don't know yet. I haven't found somebody to rap over it. And they started telling me they want to start, start a solo rap career. And I said, oh, shit, we should talk. So talking to him, I was like, all right, bet. Like, you want to start a solo rap career. I want to start this label. Let me executive produce your album for you. So after talking a little bit, you know, I gave him that the Lonely Smartin one is a single. That song is called Rose, also on my, my SoundCloud. But, um, you know, beyond that, we decided, all right, we should make an EP for you, executive produced by Cook and Soul. So I've basically just been coordinating with them. Uh, they're all over on the West Coast. been coordinating with them, just buying beats that feel be right for this project. But he's also an actor, so we're going to coordinate a short film to go with it. So you could probably expect that at the uh, end of summer 2018. All right, that's what's up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, again, no, uh, Noam Shapiro's uh, Awkward Dance was technically the first release um, off the label? Yeah, man. That's, that's real impressive. You know that, actually. Um, that was, let's see, t September 2016 we dropped that. Okay. Where basically um, one of the first beats I bought was off Cook and Soul, and when when Noam agreed to you know join my label and do that that album with me, uh, that was one of my played for him. He loved it. He rapped to it right away. But something told me like, all right, nah, come on. The very first song on my label, uh, it has to have a bigger impact. It can't just be Cook and Soul. I mean, as amazing as they are, I want to add more ammunition to it. You know. Mm -hmm. So what I did was, you know, I was flipping through different blogs to see, like, you know, who's up and coming right now, who's worth collaborating with. Um, and while doing that, I found the uh, email address for uh, Mikey Rock's manager from the Cool Kids. I told him, yo, um, I'm a big fan of yours, but you since uh, middle school. You'll be down to get on the song, you know, I'll pay your quota and all that. Um, what's good? He said, yeah, I'm down. Uh, so we gave us a verse for it, and uh, that's basically the story of how Awkward Dance came to be. So, you know, I've, I haven't spoken to him since, but I definitely got to give props to Mikey Rocks, because that was, that was the very first song we dropped to this label, and, you know, Hot New Hip Hop reposted it. That was crazy. To just, you know, go to bed one night and wake up to, like, a thousand new plays. I wasn't sure what happened at first, but I hopped <laughs> on Google and saw that, and I was like, oh, shit, this shit is really taking off. So... Uh, yeah, I just want to you know give a quick shout out to Mikey Rocks Cook and Soul for doing that for me because that was that was a big deal. That's what's up, man. And uh, and so and then Rico Smooth, Rico Smooth, last but not least. Yeah. 
So he, I mean, I mentioned before that we were doing a lot of work with Broken Pen, but like, you know, we, we already have so much music in the vault for Broken Pen. So, you know, production wise, he's kind of on pause right now, focusing more on getting shows booked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that Rock Kim show I mentioned next week is going down. But for Rico Smooth, uh, it's going to take a trip back to Montclair. Um, and we'll give a quick shout out to my homie Samar Savage, uh, also from Montclair, New Jersey. He's this ill rapper. You know, I reached out to him uh, when he was 19 first. Uh, we collaborated. He did a feature for Rico already on that song, Making uh, making Those Sounds. Mm-hmm. But basically, we're going to go, because he has a studio uh, back in Montclair. So, you know, we're going to uh, go back to Jersey for the day. That's Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to go there. We're going to clock in four hours and hopefully, hopefully finish up Rico's album. Um, and the reason I mentioned Samad, not just because it's going to be a studio, but also Samad's going to be on Rico's next single. Um, so yeah, that, that's what we're going to do on Sunday. And then hopefully, hopefully have that ready by, uh, summer, I think. Okay. That's all right, man. Well, that, that's what's up. And you know, like uh, going back to, uh, to broken pen real quick, it was funny mm-hmm. because when you sent me the email, um, and you know, you, uh, and you mentioned like broken pen rock Marciano, I said, this shit sounds familiar. And then I remember that I actually, I came across that song like a while back on, uh, I think it was, uh, maybe the seventh barrel, uh, that, yeah, that, that hell yeah. You begin in 2016, and you're pretty much, you're doing all this, and, you know, you didn't, like, you know, pick up, like, a, I don't know, a book on, you know, how to start a, you know, record label for dummies or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, my thing is, like, um, I, I love uh, jumping in anything that requires, you know, just learning as you go. I definitely, I mean, I, I didn't go to school for any of this. I just, it just occurred to me one day that, like, you know, I would enjoy to be a middleman in that kind of situation. So, uh Basically, yeah, I've been learning as I go along. A lot of times, I'll just look back on like the different kind of press kits I was sending in 2016, the different kind of emails I was sending. Like, oh, for your consideration, please listen to this song by so and so, or oh, um, uh, for your blog, please consider premiering blah 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 featuring so and so. Like, you know, it's definitely it's a lot of fun to be your own student teacher in this shit, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm I'm always collaborating with people who've already been where I've been, or also you know, hoping to um, get where I'm already at. And it's really, we're all just learning from each other in this shit, you know? I mean, obviously, the, the rappers and singers also didn't, they didn't have it all figured out, otherwise they wouldn't need me. So, you know, we're all just learning together. Mm, yeah, that's what's up, because I, and, you know, I was looking at some of Broken Pen stuff, and I, I think I've, because I, th- I think I've heard of him before, even like, the, you know, like the Rock Marciano song, I think I've seen him on blogs here and there throughout the years, and he's been doing this for quite a while now. Yeah, man, he's literally, like, when I, when I mentioned in the emails that he's 15 years deep, like, I'm not joking, he's, he's been doing rap battles, he's been producing for a lot of other rappers, he's been ghostwriting, he's been doing features, he, yeah, he's, he's been... Uh, killing it for a while that's why i first hit him up saying like yo i appreciate you doing that feature for me but listen man you're working your ass off and just casually dropping these albums on uh facebook like you need a team behind you You need somebody to kind of maximize your value like show people like what they've been sleeping on and he you recently he recently like you know you guys like recently got together like what i think like march of 2017 or something like that right yeah yeah exactly you know, this is the thing, and this is like something that uh, another reason why I'm, you know, I was interested in talking to you because, uh, you know, you just said that you were talking to him and you and you told him that he has to have some kind of team behind him. And yeah, uh, when we when you think about the way that um, you know the 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 music industry is like just rapidly changing, you know, and how you have these record labels, you know, and they're not, 
you know, they're not the traditional, you know, kind of, you know, brick and mortar labels that, you know, we that you probably that you used to think of like in the 90s, early 2000s. Like these are just right. kind of these these teams that pretty much just build infrastructures for artists, you know, um, if they have a following or if they have like, you know, the the means to go out and do what they need to do. So with that, um, what is your approach to, you know, trying to, um, you know, manage artists and, you know, and, and then and then trying like to, to get them booked and then, you know, with that. Um, how do you see yourself expanding, uh, like the label? Do you see your, yourself right. expanding into like trying to um, offer additional content? You know, you're just talking about the short film with Gnome and everything like that. So my thing is, um, first of all, I get I get all all the funding I get for this label. I get through my nine to five. You know, I wake mm-hmm. up, I go clock in. I work in digital advertising for uh, uh, pharmaceuticals and healthcare. I've been a project mm-hmm. manager for about a year now, uh, doing that shit. I've had a bunch of odd job nine to fives, but this is this has been like the most enjoyable and stable uh, since then. Uh, and this shit, you know, uh, advertising for healthcare and pharmaceuticals obviously isn't my passion, but uh, it does pay me well enough to a live in New York City and b be able to like you know uh, gather some resources for these guys that they otherwise wouldn't have. So basically, uh, I'm always trying to think of ways like, all right, I got, I got this much extra money saved up for this month. How can I use that to like bank an opportunity for an artist that I promise to make famous? So, mm-hmm. um, I've mostly used it on buying beats, uh, getting shit mixed and mastered, getting the studio time recorded, uh, getting features booked. But um, really, it's a whole lot of it is like. Showing these guys, all right, take a good look at who you were before I came into the picture and why your shit wasn't bringing in numbers. And I think a whole lot of it was, you know, these guys weren't promoting themselves. They were trying to be too casual about it. I think a lot of artists have this thing where it's like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to come across desperate asking people like, you know, like, listen, repost my shit. And I understand that. But that's why it's a good look to have a team promoting on your behalf. Where it's like, yo, your your only focus is just putting dope lyrics in the music and making dope songs. All the other hurdles have been cleared out your way. You don't have to worry about what studio you're gonna record at, how much it costs. Like I take care of all of that. So I'm that's that's really the service I offer to uh, the dudes I manage right now. And and as of right now, it's still just you. You're just doing everything. Yeah. Um. I mean, I got my my cousin Craig as the vice president. Um. For uh, especially you know for R and B, but for mm-hmm. right now you know I was focusing on Broken Pen, so you know I let I let Craig you know uh, focus on his job for a minute uh, while I was okay. just doing my own thing. Okay, and, and then and then with um with Broken Pen's uh, performance opening up for for Rock Kim, um, uh, how did that come about? Basically, I was uh, I was looking for what the, the ways I saw it was like all right. Year one of this shit is going to be just like, you know, getting my feet wet, trying to figure out the game, you know, what what I need to get right or, you know, stop doing all of it, et cetera. Now we're on year two where it's like, all right, now that you have the game figured out, you're on year two, how are you going to start making money for these guys, right? How are you going to monetize their talent? So, man, I was I was just combing through the internet for any and every uh, concert uh, coming up in the near future. And I saw one at BB King's uh, for Rakim. I knew the pen was a big fan of Rakim. I mean, most hip hop heads are. So 
I called to ask, you know, are there any openers for him? They told me, oh, I don't really know yet, but you can email this person, yada, yada. Okay, I got that person emailed down. I emailed that person back and forth a whole bunch of times. They got back to me saying, when he first got back to me, he said nothing about the Rock Kim show. He said, I need an opener for Ja Rule tomorrow. And I was like, Ja Rule? What, what the, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And I, I was kind of like, I was like, I don't even know if I could like call a broken pen and say this. I was like, ah, this is a bad look. You know, I'm supposed to be making these guys money and making them, making their careers pop. You know, having an open Ja Rule seemed kind of whack, but. You know, I, I try to be trans, as transparent as possible. So I called him up. I told him it was good. He said, uh, yeah, I guess I'll open for him uh, just to say I did it. I said, all right, I'll get it booked. So we got it booked. But the next day, like a historic snow blizzard happened. So the show didn't even happen. And, you know, like I was, like I was saying before, everything happens for a reason. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad we didn't do that show. So I kept pestering that same booking agent. Be like, yo, um. I know the the Ja Rule show didn't happen, but again, going back to the original request, it would be great if you could let us know about the Rock Kim one. And I checked back on the Ticketmaster website, and I seen that uh, Buckmaster Flex had also been added to it. So, oh shit, they're they're starting to add openers. Like he he's clearly got the um, the wheel spinning on. So I just kept calling every single day, every single day, and then finally he got back to me. He said, "All right." We're gonna let y'all open for Rock Him and Phone Master Flex. We'll give you a hundred dollars. That's it. But you know, it's a guest list of forty people. I'll give you a twenty minutes set. Do your thing. And you know, I told Broken Pen like, "Yo, it's not a lot of money, but we should do this because if you kill it in front of forty people at this historic venue, and Funk Master Flex is there to see it, and Rock Him is there to see it, it's a good looking, good open a lot of doors." And he, you know, he's smart. He appreciated that. So. You know, we seize the opportunity, and uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to uh, this coming Thursday. I guess a few minutes ago, you just said that you know, you're like one of your main things is that you really have to try to build trust with, like, with your artists and everything. Like, yeah, that. man, tra- transparency is so key. I've seen a lot of guys uh, try and do what I do, and they'll just straight up lie. I don't. It's it's really, and I, when I say lie, I don't mean exaggerating. I mean just <laughs> straight up lie. Like, yo, I'm going to try and get, get like, a future to be on your next single. I'm like, bro, you know that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you know you don't have six figures for that. Before, like, so before this, like, you didn't, like, have, like, a like a close relationship with Broken Pen before you guys, like, really started working together. No, nah, I had only met him once. He he came to my crib back in, um I think it was eighth grade. Uh, we had a mutual friend who I invited over. You know, I was come play Xbox one night. And he was like, yo, can I bring my, my friend um uh, Zandy? His real name is Zandy Lack. So yeah, it's no, no problem. So that was that was the first time I met him uh, when he came over for that, and I guess we had been Facebook friends since that, um, and that's how I was keeping track of his music and how he was just so casually uh, putting on the internet with no promotion whatsoever. You know, you guys started working like seriously in March 2017, and then like shortly thereafter, he's going to open up for Rock Kim. Yeah, man. Because my thing was like, all right, man, like you you did the shit for 15 years and. Um, you were very frustrated whether you felt you didn't go anywhere. You've been with me for a year. You got a feature from Rock Marciano. You got beats from Cooking Soul. You're going to open for Rock, Kim, and Funkmaster Flex. So that's that's the value of trying to demonstrate to people. Yeah, and, and, this, and this is another thing, too, that, um, you know, and then, I mean, and, you know, this, this is how you say, like, people who casually, prom- like, promote their stuff. 
because I mean, I I do the same thing too. Pretty much, I do casually promote. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I don't promote the way that I probably should. But yeah, you know, I, we've been talking about me the whole time, man. Like, let me let me let me shut the hell up for a little bit. Like, talk about. Tell me about tell me about you or tell me about how you got this podcast started. Like, you know, tell me about your background. All right. Well, I mean, so uh, I also do music, and the thing was, um, I did like a lot of stuff like on the um, on the local scene in Baltimore uh, with my brother, and so it was like a really you know kind of local operation. We would like you know we had consignment deals with like local stores, and you know we would sell out. And everything like that. And we, you know, and we did like, you know, we got, you know, shit in local publications. And my, my brother would like, you know, do do shows throughout. But then, you know, I went away to college and then I, you know, got serious about certain things. So I took a break from like the music for a while. And so now I'm, you know, I'm slowly but surely kind of coming back out. Um, but then with the podcast, you know, we, me and my cousin, we like casually kind of started this podcast. And it's, you know, kind of been like a good platform just to like develop relationships with different people. Um, and so that's always, you know, been a good thing. And then I, uh, I we spun out and got the uh, Wu Tang, the Wu Tang podcast, which is like way bigger than this one. Um, okay. So yeah, so you know, so I think indirectly, because you know, I still don't, um, you know, promote the way I probably should, but uh, indirectly, you know, I get, I get, you know, certain people start trickling in because of the people listening to the podcast, so then they can hear about, you know, just different things going on with me. Um, every so often when I do uh, mention them, but when you know when starting the podcast uh you know you really you got to try to get guests on because at first we weren't we weren't really that interested in trying to get guests and then we just said well fuck it we'll start doing it and i remember that it took me a good while i just remember that pretty much almost every person that i like hit up you know these weren't like big people um you know they probably had some kind of influence maybe in particular kind of sector whether it be you know music or journalism or whatever like that but, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't respond. And, you know, I, I don't blame them because, you know, we didn't have any kind of like, you know, platform of following or a decent platform of that. So, um, you know, just keep, you know, kept grinding, kept sending out emails. And, uh, you know, I got, you know, we got some, you know, got like hip hop pioneers. Got, we had a New York Times bestseller on wow. uh, about a year ago. And, you know, and now it's to the point that, you know, people like you, you know, hit, hit me up. So, so, so yeah. every so often I don't really have to, um, you know, go out of my way to get guests anymore. Yeah, um, man, because I was, I was looking for a podcast to, um, you know, jump on. Uh, this, is, this is the second interview I've ever done in my whole life. So, first of all, thank you. You know, it's a pleasure to be talking with somebody smart. Um, you know, intellectual as you. Um, I was looking at these ones, um, looking for guests, and most of them, uh, they were they were just whack. They were clearly just like trying to be Angie Martinez off behind the They were trying to be like all these um, uh, different rap radio shows. I was looking for you know podcasts, which is like you know like just a casual conversation, just like playing, you know, just talk, like just like you know, just keep it hundred and like not really try to be all Hollywood with it. So, you know, that's that's part of what led me to you. And I was like, all right, this this seems like it's going to be just like a casual, like not extra, not try too hard um, uh, conversation we're going to have. I'm glad I'm glad you found me because, you know, a lot of times I mean, every so often when I do get like a guest that reaches out to me, um, you know, they that's that's something that, that they do say just kind of like a really intimate conversation um, and everything like that. And, you know, now, you know, this is a really this is really a guest driven podcast because my my co-host is in a. He's not doing it right now, so it's just me. Another thing too is that when it comes to just reaching out to people, and I and uh, and uh, I think a good thing that helped me with like with this podcast and like just reaching out to people, like the way that I you know I I do the way that that you've been doing. Um, it was like in 2013, I was like in LA for something, and this guy came in. He was like, it was like a talk that he gave, and he just said, "Look, man, like 
you know, if you ever try and do something, you know, he was telling maybe to an audience, maybe like 30 people, including myself. And he just said, like, you know, don't be afraid to reach out because you, you'll never know, um, you know, you know, if they'll get back to you or not. You just never know. And so he gave it. He gave this um, gave he told us a story about uh I can't think of what, what like what kind of Hollywood director it was. I want to say it was John Singleton. It was something. So anyway, okay. he said that because he was doing like a um, because I'm in graduate school, and so he was doing like this project for his thesis or dissertation, whatever it was, and it was about like black film or whatever. And so he contacted like you know he got John Singleton's like contact manager, whatever it was, um, and then you know. The guy said, okay, and then the guy, and then so the guy was like, you know, he already knew that the guy was never going to get back to him. He called him the next day, and then he um, he said, yeah, this is so-and-so, you wanted to talk to me. And the guy was like, he he said that he just like, kind of, he was like mad silent. He just said, I really didn't think that you would, you would uh, get in contact with me. And he was like, well, you wanted to speak to me, so I called you. And he was just so like, so nonchalant about it. And um and so so ever since that time, um, I just made, made it like a thing, like, you know, like to not be afraid just to reach out to people because you just never, ever know, you know, when, uh, you know, if they if they will get, you know, will get back to you or not. Yeah, man. I mean, I was a little bit more annoying and pers- and persistent than you were. But like I was I was basically just calling that dude every single day. I was like, yo, I got nothing to lose. He offered me Ja Rule. <laughs> I didn't want that. And I was like, yo, I'm going to just keep bringing this phone to the hotel. He offers me something better. And it worked out. So, you know, anybody listens to this in the future, like, Take notes, do that. People in this industry are always going to be, they, they might get annoyed, but they're always annoyed. They might get stressed out and like, you know, fed up, but they're always going to be stressed up and fed up. That's what this industry is. So don't worry about being that guy added to that their stress level or like, you know, oh, I don't want to, I don't want them to like think I'm being annoying or anything like that. Because the thing is like, people drop out all the time. Suppose not to jinx myself, but what we're aiming for next is, uh, you know, Dave East. He has a show here in the spring. And the whole reason I started pursuing that is because three of the people who were supposed to open for him dropped out. But see, I wouldn't know that if I hadn't kept calling them. So you might go on the website or Ticketmaster or whatever and see like, oh, they already got the opener, so I'm not going to try for that. No, just try anyway, bro. You got their number, you got their email, just fired. You have nothing to lose. It's and that's what makes it so fun to be this early in the game. You're this early in it, and it's just like you have nothing to lose. Now, if I was like, you know, uh, you know, famous, rich with a career already, then I wouldn't want to appear desperate. But what do I got to lose now? You know, I clock in on nine to five every day. And when I get out, I apply at least two hours to making this shit pot off. And I got this far. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. And then you also, and then you know, you 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 write you write uh, your scripts by uh, during the night, right? It's real challenging, but I figure anybody out there is trying to be a screenwriter, you'll challenge yourself to two pages a day. Two pages a day—that's a reasonable goal to give yourself. And it also means you could write a ninety-page script in forty-five days. Now, it might need some rewriting and editing. But at least you will have those 90 pages um, on your dashboard uh, within 45 days. So, you know, you got to set realistic goals and limits. And uh, that's that's the one I gave myself. Fuck, like I'm I'm 27 and like it's not just it's not good enough to just I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm thankful to be, you know, be healthy, waking up every day and you know, live in a nice city and all that. You know, I, I live with my two best friends. I got both my parents still together, like, you know, there for me and all that. But. 
as much as I appreciate all that, like there is so much more I want in this world. So I don't want to wait until, you know, 40s have that midlife crisis and none of that. Like, no, I want it now. Like, I want to, I'm chasing that shit every single day. And anybody wants to do even a fraction of what I'm hoping to do, you got to do the same thing. Doesn't matter how hard you work to your day job. You come home, what's your, what's your page limit for writing each day? What's your, how many emails you're sending out each day to promote your artists? How many beats you buying? Are you budgeting this? Are you saving up $200 to buy that, that fire beat next month that could really take off? and make your artist famous. It's really just like, that's all it is. As an executive producer and a manager, so I'm pretty sure that you've been thinking about this, I guess, how, how, you, how you and Broken Pen and I guess whoever else you're gonna bring with you um, to, the, to the show, how you guys are gonna move and you know, maybe ideas that you have for Broken Pen's performance and everything like that. Uh, this was kind of last minute. My homie d uh, who I went to high school with, he's gonna join in the performance too because he, he did a song with Broken Pen uh, and Cook and Soul uh, off that album, No Vacations. And I'm just trying to add as much ammo to that performance as possible because I feel like it's such a make-or-break thing. If, again, if he if he kills it at BB Kings, that first of all. Secondly, in front of a whole bunch of people. Thirdly, in front of Funk Flex and Rock can make a good impression on them, then it's really going to pay off, you know? I'm talking to backup dancers, I'm um, talking to different DJs who could scratch it up a little bit. And you and so and you just mentioned that you know you're, you're you're really focusing on well well you were mainly focusing focusing on broken pen and everything like that and just like from the way that you know you're moving and how you're setting everything up you know getting certain beats together getting you know uh, features and everything like that um, mm-hmm. you're really taking your time to like build up you know your brand build up your um, your catalog and everything like that. Yeah. And, my thing is, like, I'm always trying to, at least once a month, like, you know, I'll just, uh, I mean, I live in New York City. There's models all over the place, but I don't want to just hire any old model. So I'm always trying to hire uh, girls that I went to high school with or girls from my hometown. Be like, yo, you you seen the label I do? I'm trying to just put out promo photos. So, you know, I'll reach out to, like, you know, my friends who are photographers. And I'll reach out to my friends and models. But, like, yo, do this promo photo for me. You know, anything that, you know, just gives me an excuse to collaborate with all the brilliant people I went to high school with or grew up with. Um, that's part of the fun, man. So, yeah, there's that. And when I mentioned earlier that, like, I work with Broken Pen the most right now, that wasn't even by choice. That man just works fast. I'll send that man four beats. He'll come back to me, like, 24 hours later, be like, yo, what else you got? I'm like, damn, man, how the fuck you do four songs in, in one day? He just, you know, he, he's a monster like that. So I got to, as much as he's putting in, I got to give it back. That's deep, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you think, let's, you know, let's th- think about Migos. I think uh, you guys kind of touched on Migos a little bit on the, uh, on the, on your first interview. Yeah. Uh, and I looked, I, I came across some kind of headline and, uh, you know, I didn't click on it really, but it said something that. Uh, the Migos, they, they said that they spent like less than 45 minutes on each and every song for Culture 2. And it's, it has, like, what, 17, 18 tracks on it? Bro, I, I love I love Migos. But let me tell you, first of all, I, I maybe my expectations were a little bit too high for that album. You know, it might be frustrating, like, you know, work on the same song for hours and hours and the mixing and mastering the back and forth between the producer and the engineer and the artist. But, yo, you, you can't rush art. 
Now, some some great music has been made in like a quick amount of time, but like that that came naturally. It wasn't rushed. It just came naturally. You know, when you think about how fast paced this industry is, um, do you ever kind of worry about the fact that you don't put up you don't put out like enough content? Yeah, hell yeah, I, I definitely worry about that all the time. Um, we were supposed to uh, go in the studio two weeks ago to finish uh, Rico's album, but you know, shit happens. Like he had a he had this fucked up leak in his apartment. Um, then he caught the flu, and like obviously, if you catch the flu, you can't sing. So, you know, I was a little bit frustrated with how we had to push that back for two weeks, especially because, you know, I, I prepay everything. You know, I want people to understand that I'll never waste their time or their money. So, like, you know, if I book studio time, I pay for that shit up front. The beats I paid up front, the audio engineer, all that. So, you know, we were sitting on all these great resources ready to go uh, two weeks ago. But then all that shit happened in Rico, we had to push it back. And especially when I see the rate at which new music is coming out these days, it's like, gotta drop it at a faster rate. Yeah. So do you? So do you have like any any ideas on how to do that? Because I know you said that Broken Penny just had he has has a bunch of shit that he's sitting on. So yeah, like, are you going to like try to use some of that or? So in the same way that I set a. Uh, a bare minimum for screenwriting. I set one for music where it's like, all right, I don't ever want to go a full month without dropping a new song. So, I mean, that's fine for now, but by like late spring or, you know, early summer, I definitely want to be in the habit of dropping two songs a month at least. Because if I'm managing three of these dudes, like that, that shouldn't even be that hard of a, a hurdle to clear. Yeah, that's yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that that's manageable. And, and then you know, like, and, you know, I, to someone like cause I'm the same way. Like, you know, I'm not. I don't. You know, I I do think that you know a lot of shit these days are like it's it's just too rushed. Like, rushed for my taste a lot of times. Yeah. Like, like you look at like a Rock Marciano. Like, Rosebud's Revenge was like his first project in like almost like two or three years now. Although I think yeah. the year that he he dropped uh, what was it? Shit. Um. Damn. In the same kind of his second album, he dropped like you know two other projects, um, Pimp Pie Strikes Back, and then the other one that I can't, oh, Marcy Boku, or how, however you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now okay. he dropped he's dropping yeah, Robot, Rosebud's Revenge Two. Um, I think sometime this month. So from what I could see, um, and yeah. you know still within this, but still within this kind of climate, two songs a month is still like that's like nothing. That's like a two. That's that's like the equivalent of a year these days. It's nothing, but the thing is, you gotta remember with Rock Marciano, he he's been in the game since the '90s. I mean, he used to be in Buster Rhymes or uh, Flip Mode Squad, so he can get away with that now. I can't, you know. Like with with me and these guys, we're still trying to reach that level. We're still trying to, you know, break into it and get people to notice and stop sleeping on us. So you know, eventually we'll reach a point where we don't have to like you know try and meet a quota each month. But for right now. Especially like living in the ADD generation, gotta put out more music. So, so you book the studio time and everything like that, and you have three artists right now. So, um, is it as at least right now? Is it more you telling them like you know what you have for them or, or what you're going to do? Like you know you gotta do this studio time. You should do you should do studio time this month so we can put out an album on this day or this year or so, something like that. Or so remember before when I was mentioning how you know I was just like you know buying up beats and keeping them in the vault. So, you know, I, a lot of times it would start with me just uh, uh, calling one of these dudes up and say, yo, check your email in 30 seconds. I have this beat that I think you'd sound great on. Um, you know, I'll wait for them to open it, listen to it. 
um, and they'll text me back either saying, yo, I fucks with that or not, nah, wasn't really hitting for me. So if it is hitting for them, um, I'd be like, all right, uh, take a few weeks to write to it, uh, practice it out, and then I'll get the studio time booked for four weeks from now. And obviously, I don't want four hours of studio time to waste on one song, but if they write their ass off to it and they're feeling ready to, like, you know, uh, make a hit in the studio, then that, that would definitely be the focus. And so uh, when it when it came to uh, Noam Shapiro's Awkward Dance, the first release um, off of Catch a Cali, um, why that song? So we had about two songs uh, ready at the time. And I mean, I guess the biggest thing was that I felt like Awkward Dance had the most ammo, being able to say to people like, oh, yeah, like. Grammy Award winner production duo Crook and Soul and also Mikey Rocks from the Cool Kids on one song. But at the end of the day, I just liked it more than the other song in the vault. You began in 2016, you had kind of a learning curve. 2017 turned out to be a rather successful year, it seems. And now uh, you mentioned, I think, in the, uh, we so, on the We So Classic podcast that you think 2018 is going to be a good year. So uh, what do you have in store? Uh, now, that, now that I have... Uh, so many talking points for broken pen like i feel like now when i email people for opportunities uh we're gonna see a better response you know now now i can put in those emails some shit like uh yo he's already collaborated with rock marciano cooking soul opening for rock him and fuck master flex what's good do you want to be a part of this or not um i didn't really have that for him a year ago but now i you know, i got some more ammo uh, plus, we expect to finish Gnome's uh, EP uh, this summer and the short film, hopefully, uh, released by next winter. Um, plus, Rico's back in it. He hadn't dropped a song in about a year, but I spoke to him as recently as two hours ago. And trust me, he's ready to get back in the studio and go beast mode. Um, so, yeah, this is the first time, I would say, since starting this shit where, like, all three of my guys... They're all hungry. They're all ready to, you know, just go kill it in the studio. Not to mention, again, one of them's opening for two very uh, successful New York uh, hip hop artists, uh, B.B. King. Where where can people find, uh, you know, the music and everything like that? So right now, if you want some music, you know, just go to SoundCloud.com and look up Catch a Cali Records. But um, my thing is, I don't put shit on Apple or Spotify until the whole album's done. Like I don't, I don't do singles on those streaming services. So you'll see no vacations um, on the streaming services next week. You'll see uh, Gnome's album on there once it's finished. You'll see Rico's album on there once it's finished. But in the meantime, you can either follow me on Instagram, that's King Cali, or you can go on SoundCloud.com, um, search Cali Records, and yeah, you'll find all our shit, man. But also, I guarantee, just Google and uh, Cali Records will take you there. That's what's up. And maybe uh, pick up your, your grandfather's uh, book while they're at it. Hell yeah. Thanks for, thanks yeah. for the plug, bro. Oh, no doubt. Well, this has been another edition of the Channel 10 Podcast. Check us out at Channel 10 Podcast. Damn, Channel10Podcast.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Channel 10 Pod. You can hit me up at uh, on Sinkar Superior on Twitter. Uh, check out the Wu-Tang Podcast, Wu-Tang Podcast on SoundCloud, Wu-Tang Podcast on Twitter. Just dropped two new episodes today, so check them out if you will, and we out. Peace.